Well, um, thank you for your welcome this morning. It's good to come to the uh, service at my two uh, 8 o'clock representatives in our Bible study come to, Kevin and Aaron. So they speak highly of uh, your meeting. Um, let's pray as, as I come to preach. Dear Heavenly Father, please give us understanding of uh, your word. Please uh, help me to speak in a way that pleases you. Amen. Well, today we're looking at what unifies Christians from 1 Corinthians 1, 1 to 9. So what is the glue that holds us together? What are the key relationships, the key beliefs we have in common as believers? Well, one way to start looking at unity is um, to look at its opposite division. So that's a bit of a pessimistic way to examine the topic. Well, local churches may be um, divided as to what colour the carpet is. So when we come to replace this um, red carpet here, we'll say, well, we'll change it to blue or green or red. So which colour? Red. And do we make it like under the pews as well? Yep, yeah, okay. So, well, that's, that's uh, decided then, so it's not a matter of division. Um, so there might be disputes about worship or music or how long the sermon should be. Um, unhealthy relationships in the church can often be the source of great division. Um, there can be intern- internal politics, uh, one-upmanship, pride, or a fight for dominance. And um, some people may be hardwired to be critical and to gossip. And some churches have serious disputes about uh, doctrine. So these different types of disputes and dysfunction can render a church inoperative and ineffective. So some churches are a bit like five cats in a bag. So uh, Aaron's the expert on cats, so put five goffs in a bag, uh, what would happen? So uh, all that would be achieved by the cats being in a bag would be fighting and scratching and the spilling of blood, but um, there'd be no positive achievement at all. Well, the Corinthians had issues with divisions. Uh, the church had been established by Paul and he'd spent 18 months there, so that's an enormous investment of time. Um, they made a good start and they were a zealous group of believers. Paul then moved to other locations on his missionary work, but he subsequently uh, received alarming news about various divisions and other serious pastoral issues that emerged in Corinth. So with the division, there was um, three teachers that uh, came along, and some people favoured each one of the teachers and um, sort of disrespected the other teachers. But, of course, Jesus is the centre of the church, not any particular teachers. There was moral perversion in some relationships, so a man was sleeping with his stepmother and others were sleeping with temple prostitutes. And some said, well, that's okay. People are free in Christ to do those things. So they lacked that um, physical integrity. 
And also there were shambolic uh, public worship as people show off their gifts uh, to get the attention of others. Um, people said unintelligible things or um, people would yell out things at the same time so they weren't understood. So uh, the effect of that is that people weren't being encouraged and visitors weren't, were just confused. Well, Paul uh, wrote 1 Corinthians to address these serious partial, uh, partial issues. Um, however, he doesn't, what's interesting, he doesn't launch straight into the issues themselves. Instead, his initial response in these first nine verses is to outline how all Christians are unified. And Paul refers to the Corinthians' unity by firstly affirming their standing as believers and secondly spelling out the basis of their unity as believers. Well, a Corinthians' standing as believers who call on the name of the Lord is made clear from the beginning of the letter in verse 2. And that reads, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So the Corinthians were followers of Christ, and Paul is embracing that. He's not trying to distance himself from them uh, or cut them loose. Now, a second aspect of how the Corinthians are unified as believers is that they're recipients of God's grace. In verse 4, Paul writes, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Now, grace is means uh, undeserved mercy. So if I do something hurtful or unkind to my wife and she forgives me, then she has been gracious to me. That's uh, undeserved mercy. So when God is gracious to me, he is um, extending something that is totally undeserved. God is holy and perfect. He does not need our allegiance, our allegiance to boost his self-esteem, yet he chooses to exercise grace to his people, to believers. Well, we usually think of God's grace in the context of salvation. So we are sinners and we offend uh, God. In our natural state, we have enmity with him and we're destined for an eternity separated from God and all things good. However, as an exercise of his grace uh, and mercy, God the Father sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to earth to suffer and die so that we could have life. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice. His blood was spilled so that we could have life. Uh, and we're then, under, we're then to live under his lordship and look forward to and spending eternity with him. Well, there are other facets of grace that Christians receive apart from salvation. So from verse 7, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, Paul notes that God graciously uh, and generously enriches the Corinthians and verse 7 confirms that God has given them spiritual gifts to enable them to live out their faith together. So it's interesting that uh, in verse 5 spells out the specific gift of speech and knowledge. 
So it says, in him you've been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Well, uh, some in Corinth had particular gifts uh, in uh, speech and knowledge, but they aren't, weren't always using them well in public gatherings. The gift of speech and knowledge needs to be exercised humbly and for the benefit of the church uh, in the public gathering. And uh, speech and knowledge is important today. That's why we spend, send people to Bible college. It's important today so, we, so that we can be equipped as Christians to live in a way that pleases God and that helps us explain the gospel to others. Well, grace by grace we are saved and by grace we are gifted to enable us to live out the faith as individuals and as a church. A third way in which we're recipients of grace, his undeserved mercy and favour, is that he sustains us. What's the definition of sustain? That sounds a bit like a pedal on a, on a piano. Well, sustain in the context of chapter 1 is uh, to maintain or support for an extended period of time. In the words of verse 8, um, he will always keep, sorry, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's liberating that it's the strong arms of God that will bring us to the ends of our lives and into eternity with him and with other believers. So God's grace, his undeserved mercy, is exercised in salvation, in gifting and in sustaining us to bring us as individuals and a group of Christians safely home. And this is what unifies us as believers. But yet we know uh, that uh, in our individual lives and in our churches that unity is limited. And the reason for this is sin. Uh, in our sin, we, in our pride, we take our eyes off Jesus and we live for ourselves. And one specific enemy of unity is attitude. So pride can lead to a spirit of criticism and gossip, and these things, of course, are corrosive to the church. Now, a second enemy of unity is not holding fast to gospel truth, of losing focus on what we believe and compromising and forgetting the core of the gospel. Now, a third um, opponent to unity is putting too much faith in one believer rather than God. So it's not helpful to say that I am part of Team David or I am part of Team Joe and really it should be I'm part of Team Jesus. And the fourth enemy of unity is not seeing our spiritual gifts as uh, ways of loving God and serving others. Well, let's think of the Barney's mission statement. So I don't know if you've got your... Um, uh, you want to give it a score out of 10 or you've got some liquid paper to look at that mission statement? Well, th this is how it reads. Our mission is to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus. We aim to be a church who actively seek the lost as prayerfully dependent, biblically sharp, thoroughly equipped and sacrificially loving ambassadors for Christ. Well, that's a pretty good uh, mission statement, a good statement of where any church would like to to be going um, but 
we always have to keep asking ourselves, are we more like five cats in a bag rather than uh, fighting and scratching uh, each other rather than people fulfilling that mission? Well, there is a way forward, and um, what is it? Well, God is a God of grace and peace and unity, and in God's strength, we need to get past these enemies of unity. Now, one, uh, one way to move forward is to not sway from the gospel. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And one way we can do this is to maintain our spiritual disciplines. That's reading our Bibles regularly and doing this in a contemplative way. We need to be praying daily and uh, we can be praying through the church directory. Uh, also meeting with our other believers, with other believers regularly <coughs> and encouraging each other in spiritual things. So that's not swaying from the gospel. A second way to move to unity is to follow Christ and not people. We may appreciate Joe and David and their work among us, and in fact, we do appreciate, uh, and Adam, he's got a gig now. Um, so we do appreciate what these guys are doing among us um, and our Bible study leaders, etc. But it's not a question of being on Team Joe or Team David or now Team Adam. We're on term Team Jesus. Uh, it's Jesus that, that's our Lord and King. Well, a third way to drive towards unity uh, in God's strength is to use our gifts to love and serve the church. So God hasn't given us gifts so that they'll just atrophy uh, to die away. They're given to be used. A fourth way to move forward to unity is to be alert to our attitudes, to criticism and gossip, and uh, to not participate in these things. Well, let's pray. We thank you that you've called us Father, into relationship with you and with other believers, we praise you that you've done this, though at high cost, the death and sacrifice of your son. We thank you that you've given us gifts to honour you and to build up the church. We thank you that you've promised to sustain us and bring us safely home to you to an eternity focused on the Lord Jesus. Where there is disunity in the church, we pray that you'll help us to trust you and in your strength to drive to unity with focus on gospel truth. Give us healthy spiritual disciplines of reading your word, of praying and of meeting together with other believers. Help us to follow the Lord Jesus and not man and please give us a willingness to enthusiastically exercise our spiritual gifts out of love for you. Help us to humbly serve you and each other and deliver us from a spirit of criticism and gossip. Amen.